Good morning, everyone. You have your Bible with you. Will you please take it out and go over into your New Testament this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. Will you please go on your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 in your New Testament. This morning, in our first study from God's Word, I want to talk with you about a subject that in many churches has become very neglected. It has become a very neglected subject. It has become a very neglected commandment. In fact, it may be the most neglected commandment in all the New Testament. It may be the most misunderstood commandment in all the New Testament. It may be the commandment in the New Testament that is often met with the most resistance. You see, for many churches... They fail to submit to and obey this commandment that I'm going to talk with you about this morning because they say that they find it to be too unpleasant. They say they find it to be too mean-spirited. They find it to be too controversial and, and difficult to actually be executed in the 21st century. Someone says, well, Sean, well, what commandment are you referring to this morning. Well, my friends, the commandment that I am referring to this morning, the neglected commandment that is found in many churches today that I want to talk with you about is the commandment of discipline. The commandment of church discipline. This morning in our first study, I want to talk with you about church discipline. I want to talk with you with, about what the Bible says about church discipline. And let me just say that as we begin this study this morning, that, that when it comes to this topic of church discipline, brothers and sisters, this topic right here is not one that really gets my juices going, okay? This is not a topic that I'm really eager to preach on. I mean, when I got up this morning at 4 o'clock, I didn't get out of my bed and say, I can't wait to stand in front of the church and talk about church discipline. As a preacher, I would much rather preach on more encouraging topics like grace and love and faith and heaven and the comfort we receive from God. Those are certainly easier topics to preach on. Those are certainly more pleasant topics for people to listen to. You see, topics like church discipline are far more difficult topics for us to consider because the fact of the matter is topics like this are topics that make us really uncomfortable. They make us squirm a little bit. Topics like this make us wiggle in the pew a little bit because the reality is this kind of topic really challenges us. It really challenges our trust in the word of God. It really challenges our love for God. It really challenges our love for one another, particularly our love for those brethren who were at one time among us, but they're now living lives of sin. The topic of church discipline is a topic that challenges us in so many different ways. And because that's the case, I think we need to talk about it a little bit. 
I think we need to open up our Bibles and rehearse this issue. I think we need to reconsider once again, together as a church family, what the Bible has to say to us about the very controversial subject of church discipline. And let's just begin this morning by first pointing this out. Let's begin this morning by first saying that even though the topic of church discipline is very controversial in the religious world today, it is promoted in the Bible. It is promoted in the gospel. In fact, it is promoted by Jesus himself in the gospel. Are you in Matthew chapter 18 this morning? Look at what Jesus said in verse number 15. In Matthew 18 and verse 15, Jesus said, if your brother sins, some of your translations may say, if your brother sins against you, go. And if you like to write your Bible, like I like to write in my Bible, I would really underline and highlight and circle that word go. Go, Jesus says, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I want you to notice how when it comes to this issue or this subject that we're talking about this morning, before it was taught on by the Apostle Paul over and over again in the New Testament, according to what Matthew tells us in his gospel, this topic was first addressed by Jesus. This topic was first preached on by Jesus. I mean, I hope we can all agree that if Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, if Jesus felt the need to preach about this issue in his earthly ministry, then you know what that means? That means this issue is important. That means this issue is critical. That means this issue is an issue that we need to be talking about today. Jesus preached on this issue before anyone else did, according to what the Bible says. In fact, I want you to notice carefully what Jesus says about the issue. I, I want you to notice carefully what, what Jesus says about the prescription or the specific steps that, that need to be taken for church discipline to be executed properly. First, notice how according to what Jesus says in these verses, when it comes to a brother or a sister among us in this church who is in sin and we become aware of that, the first thing we need to do is we need to go to that brother or that sister. We need to go to them personally. We need to go to them alone. We need to go to them in private. We need to go to them in private first. We don't need to go to the elders first. We don't need to go to the preacher first. We don't need to go and gossip about that brother or sister to other people in the church. No, Jesus says that when we become aware of a brother or sister in the church that is in sin, the first thing we need to do is we as individuals need to go to that person. We as individuals need to go to that person in private first. We need to go to them in love and confront them with their sin. We need to go to them in love and urge them to repent and make things right with God and maybe make things right with us. Jesus says that if they do that, if they repent, if they make things right with us, 
and right with God, then guess what? The issue is to be settled right then and there. Jesus says it's over. We've won our brother. We need to bury the hatchet and we need to move on. Jesus says that if you can persuade your brother or your sister to repent alone in a private conversation, then you've won them. You've won their souls for the glory of God. But if they're stubborn, if they're full of pride, if they refuse to repent of their sin, then Jesus gives a second step in this process. And this second step he gives involves us going back to these people again. Only the next time we go back to them, we don't go alone. Jesus says you go back to them again, but next time you take one or two more with you. You take maybe an elder or a deacon with you. Who knows? Maybe an unbiased third party will be able to reason with these people. Maybe an unbiased third party will be able to help these people see the error of their ways. Jesus says the first step is to go as individuals in private. And if that doesn't work, we take one or two witnesses with us. And if the people still don't repent, if they still don't humble themselves and see the error of their ways, Jesus gives a third step in the process. And the third step involves bringing the matter in front of the whole church. And then what Jesus said in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, if he refuses to listen to the, to the one or two witnesses, you tell it to the church. Notice how Jesus does authorize the church to be involved in the process of church discipline, but they're not to be involved into step number three. Not step number one. Not step number two. Jesus says the church is not to be involved in this matter until step number three. If the brother doesn't repent after individuals go to him, then the church is to be involved. Then the brethren in the local church need to spend some time writing cards and making phone calls and visits and using their collective powers of persuasion to get this brother or sister to repent. Jesus says you go in private first. Then you take one or two witnesses. Then you bring the matter to the church. And if this person is still full of pride, if they're still stubborn, if they're still rebellious, then Jesus says the next thing you need to do is you need to count them as Gentiles and tax collectors. You need to count them as Gentiles and tax collectors. And then what Jesus said in the second part of verse 17 let me ask you something. What does the Lord mean when he says that? What does Jesus mean when he says that we need to regard these people as Gentiles and tax collectors? Well, before I tell you what the Lord means when he says that, let me first tell you what he doesn't mean. First, let me suggest that when the Lord used this language, he does not mean that this sinful brother or sister is to be treated with hate. They are not to be treated as enemies. They are not to be despised and shown bitterness and ill will. Instead, when the Lord used this language, what he means is we are no longer to count these people among the faithful. We're no longer to be in fellowship with these people. We're no longer to be in spiritual union with these people. Our relationship with these people, both spiritually and socially, must change until they decide to repent and get out of living a life of sin. 
That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul in verse number 1 tells us that when it came to the church in Corinth, they were tolerating a brother in the congregation who was in sin. He was in fellowship with them, even though Paul says that he was involved in sexual immorality. He was involved in sexual immorality with his father's wife. That means that, is, that this is probably his stepmother. He's involved in a gross sexual sin. And in verse number two, Paul says that instead of being arrogant about this, this church should have removed this brother from their midst. You see that at the end of verse two? In verse number five, he says that they should deliver him to Satan. In verse number seven, he says that they need to clean out the old leaven so that they may become a new lump. In verse number nine, he says that they were not to associate with immoral people. In verse 11, he clarifies what he means by that when he says that they were not to associate with any so-called brother who is immoral. And in verse 13, he says that they were to remove this wicked man, remove him from amongst yourselves. You see what Paul is saying there? Notice how when it came to this brother among them who was involved in immorality with probably his stepmother, Paul told this church that they needed to stop being apathetic about this brother's condition and they needed to step up and do what the Lord said. They need to step up and exercise church discipline. They need to pull back fellowship. They needed to do what the Lord prescribed in Matthew 18 to help him see the error of his ways. Church discipline is promoted in the Bible. It is something that Jesus expects us to do whenever needed. But even though Jesus expects us to do this, let's just be honest about it. It's not easy to do. Oh, no, it's not easy to, to execute church discipline. It's not easy to, to, to do this because usually church discipline involves a huge investment of time. It usually comes at the end of a very emotionally exhausting process. I think this is important for us to point out this morning because it is often the case that when matters like this are brought before the local church, Sometimes those who are being made aware for for the first time, they may be inclined to think that that the church and particularly the leadership is moving too fast. You ever felt that way before? You ever heard an announcement made about a sinful brother or sister in the group and you felt, well, maybe the elders are moving too fast. Why is this coming out? Are we moving too fast in this process? You ever felt that way before? Well, if so, then you need to understand something. You need to understand what Jesus taught in Matthew 18. You need to understand that there has been a lot of things going on behind the scenes prior to this announcement that you were not even aware of. You need to understand that you didn't even become aware of this sinful brother or sister until that moment when the announcement was made. Remember, the entire church is not to get involved in this process until step number three, not step number one. Not step number two. You see, usually the first two steps involve several meetings. 
Several sit-downs, several phone calls, several letters, several Bible studies, several discouraging moments and instances where Christians, usually elders, are trying to catch up with and locate a sinful brother or sister because guess what? They're running. They're hiding. They're doing the best they can to not talk about their condition. They've been on the run. And so that means that just because you don't learn about a sinful brother or sister until it is brought public, that doesn't mean the elders are being quick or impulsive in their decision to bring this matter before the church. There have been a lot of things going on behind the scenes for the last few days, the last few weeks, sometimes the last few months, and none of those things have been easy for them to do. All of those things have caused them to lose a lot of sleep, and they've been confrontational and very difficult. In fact, in addition to being confrontational and difficult, we also need to understand that this process we're talking about this morning, this process of church discipline, it also involves a lot of judgment. It involves a lot of judgment calls by, by our leaders. I mean, I think we can all agree that the Lord has clearly laid out the steps for us to follow when it comes to church discipline. But let me ask you this. What about the time factor? What about the time factor? I mean, when exactly are we to pull the trigger and pull back fellowship? How many times do, do we continue appealing to a sinful brother or sister before we withdraw from that person, especially if they start showing some some signs of hope. How long are we to wait before we execute step number four? I mean, are we to wait a week, a month, two months, six months, a year? Those are difficult questions. Those are questions that involve a lot of judgment. They involve a lot of judgment because guess what? Every Christian is not the same. Every situation is not the same. You see, sometimes when it comes to this, you're dealing with new converts. You're dealing with babes in Christ. You're dealing with people who have been Christians for a very long time, and they may need a little bit more patience. They may need us to help them patiently grow and see the error of their ways. And other times when it comes to this, you're dealing with people who do know better. You're dealing with some people who've been Christians for 20 and 30 and 40 years, and they're just being openly rebellious. They're just being defiant. They're just being full of pride and stubborn because every situation can be different because every Christian is not in the same place in their walk with Christ. In a lot of instances, when it comes to executing this, you need to use some judgment. Some judgment calls have to be made, and that's something we got to always remember, okay? We got to always remember that church discipline is promoted in the Bible, it's promoted by Jesus. It's not an easy process to execute. And then thirdly, we need to remember this. We need to remember that at the end of the day, church discipline is an act of love. Oh, yes, it's an act of love. And someone's thinking, oh, Sean, I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that this whole process is an act of love. Instead, I believe this whole process is an act of hate. 
I think it's mean spirited. I think it's embarrassing for the guilty parties. I think it's wrong to put people's business in the streets. A couple of things I want to say about that. First, whenever a person makes an agreement to place a membership with a local church, guess what? You signed up for your business to be put out in the street when you're in sin. You signed up for that. That's part of it. But in addition to that, I want you to think about this from the perspective of being a parent. Think about this concept from the perspective of being a parent. There are a lot of parents in the room this morning, right? There are a lot of parents like me in, the, in this room. And for all of you who are parents this morning, have there ever been times when you had to discipline your kids? You ever discipline your kids? Or you just let them get their way on everything? You discipline your kids, right? There have been times when you had to take away a privilege. You had to ground them. Maybe you even had to spank them because they got a line. There have been times when you've had to do that before, right? Well, if you've had to do that before, let me ask you this. Why did you have to do that? Why did you discipline your kids? I mean, did you discipline your kids because you hated them? Did you discipline your kids because you were just trying to be ugly and mean-spirited towards them? Did you discipline your kids because you just wanted to see them suffer and be miserable in their lives? Is that why you discipline your kids? Of course not. Of course not. You see, whether they understand it or not, you and I both know that as parents, the reason why we discipline our kids Whenever they get out of line, it's not because we hate them. It's not because we're trying to be ugly and mean-spirited towards them. Instead, we do it because we love them. We love them. We care about them. We care about their future. We see that they're doing something that is just wrong behavior, and we want them to understand that's wrong behavior, and we want them to avoid that behavior in the future so they can live the best possible life. That's why we discipline our kids, right? At the core of the discipline we exercise towards our kids is love, and this same principle is also true when it comes to this right here, church discipline. Let me tell you something contrary. Contrary to what many people may believe, real love, real love for a brother or sister in Christ does not involve sitting back and doing nothing whenever we know they're in sin. It does not involve allowing them to be stolen away from the devil without putting up a fight. It does not involve allowing them to drown in the sea of sin. Instead, real, genuine love for a brother or sister in Christ involves throwing them the spiritual lifelines that Jesus talks about in the Bible. It involves holding them accountable. It involves having the courage to go to them and speak the truth in love so that they can understand the seriousness of their sin and get right with God before it's too late. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. There, when, when trying to urge this church to pull back fellowship from this brother among them who was, in a, who was in immorality with his father's wife, Paul says, I have decided to, to turn such a person over to Satan for the destruction of his body. Why? so that his spirit may be saved 
on the day of the Lord. That's the purpose of church discipline. Church discipline is not about hate. It's not about being mean and ugly to people. It's about showing real love. It's about helping our brothers and sisters who are in sin in the greatest possible way. It's about showing them love in the highest possible way. It's about doing what God has told us to do. Throw them those spiritual lifelines so they can stop drowning in the sea of sin. That's what it's all about. Saving a soul. And that's something we need to remember. We need to remember the church discipline. The act of pulling back fellowship, that's an act of love. But a fourth and final thing I want to say is this. A fourth thing we need to understand about church discipline is even though we need to have to do it at times, and we do have to do it at times, it is not to be the final thing we do. It is not to be our final act towards these brethren. Please go in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse number 14. You know, Paul taught about church discipline even to the church at Thessalonica. They had some brethren among them who, who were not living right and needed to be disciplined. And so Paul said these words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 14. He says, if anyone, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, Take special note of that person and do not associate with him. And that's the same thing he said in 1 Corinthians 5, it's the same thing. Do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame, so that he can be shamed over his sin. And look at verse 15. Yet do not regard him as an enemy. Don't regard him as an enemy, but do what? Admonish him as a brother. Admonish him as a brother. Notice when it comes to dealing with a sinful brother or sister in the church, the act of withdrawal, the act of pulling back fellowship, this act right here, it's not to be the last act we, that we do. It's not to be the last thing we, we do in this process. It's not to be the last thing that we do for these brothers or sisters. Instead, Paul says, God wants us to do some more. God wants us to do more for these brothers and, and sisters. Paul says that God wants us to continue admonishing them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. How do we admonish them? Well, we admonish them first by praying for them. We need to be praying for these people. The people that we have to pull back fellowship from, the people that we have to withdraw from, we need to be praying for these people. Do you pray for them every day? We need to be praying that something providentially can be done to help them open their eyes spiritually and see the error of their way. We need to be praying that God will use us to bring them back to the spiritual family before it is too late. We need to be praying for these people every single day. And we also need to be occasionally sending them cards and emails and Facebook and text messages. And these messages, we need to be letting these people know that we have forgotten about them. We still think of them often and we love them and we're praying for them and we hope they, we hope they come back to the truth because we want them to go to heaven. 
We need to be trying to contact these people even after we pull back fellowship. Letting them know that we love them. Letting them know we hadn't forgotten about them. Letting them know that we are praying for them and we want them to come back to God. And let's say we happen to run into them in Fry's or Walmart or maybe at a restaurant. You know what we need to do if we run into them by chance? We need to go up to them and speak to them. We need to smile at them. If they're comfortable with it, if you're comfortable with it, give them a hug. Shake their hand. Let them know you've been praying for them. Let them know that you want them to desperately come back to the truth because you care about their soul so deeply. Let these people know that you miss them. Understand that even after we pull back fellowship, the Bible says our responsibility to these people is not over. Our love for them does not end because we have to pull back fellowship. They're not our enemies. They're not our adversaries. They are not to be treated as our adversaries. Instead, they are to be admonished. They are to be admonished as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a lot more I can say about this subject, but here's what I want you to take with you. While the subject of church discipline has become very neglected, it's become a very neglected commandment in so many churches around this country. Let us make sure that it never, ever, ever becomes a neglected commandment here. As we have been doing under great leadership. Let us always make sure that we trust in God's plan. To save the souls of his people whenever they wander away from the fold. In fact, maybe there's somebody here this morning who's a Christian. And you say... That describes me. I'm not right with God. Maybe you've wandered away from the fold. Maybe there's a disciple here this morning who is, is wallowing in the pits of sin. You know that. You're ready to make things right. You want us to pray with you and to pray for you. You want to repent. If that describes you this morning, I want you to know that as your loving spiritual family, we will do whatever we have to do to help you make things right with God today. We care about you that much. We love you that much. God loves you that much. And so if there's somebody here this morning, if there is a brother or sister here who wants to make things right with God, we're going to urge you to come to the front right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.